Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord. It's uh, true. It's quick. It's powerful. And Lord, it brings change to our life. Father, I just pray today that you'd challenge us again in what spirit we have, Lord God, as people. What, what spirit are we bringing to this place, Lord? What spirit are we bringing to your family and what spirit are we bringing to your church, Lord God? I just thank you for it right now, that your word is going to change us as we just let it come into our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've looked at um, a couple of guys so far, uh, one in the Old Testament, which was Absalom, and the spirit that he brought to relationships and the way he lived his life. And we looked at Barnabas last week, and that was a good spirit to have. And just really talking about how he was an encourager, that was his name, the son of encouragement. Um, And he believed in people. He believed that people could change. He believed that if you built into them, that God could actually transform lives. And that is something that we really want in our churches, isn't it? That we believe in people. We believe that God can change lives. It's very easy to look on that outward appearance as Absalom came along. And I just wanted to talk about that quickly. The outward appearance can be deceptive in two ways. Because we quite often think the outward appearance is that that person is either wonderful by all the things that they do, or sometimes we see someone who's not quite so wonderful and we make a judgment very quickly on their life. Well, Barnabas would be able to see through both of those things, I guess. But sometimes it's important that we are patient with one another, we are kind to one another, and we believe that God can make a difference in someone's life. So there are sometimes people that you look at and you think outwardly, God can't possibly be moving. Can I tell you something? He is moving. And we need to be be able to be people of discernment that don't just write others off and just say, well, nah, God possibly can't do anything there or God isn't doing anything there. We need to make sure that we look past outward appearances and we start to break in to relationship with people and get to understand and know them. Okay. So this week we're going to look at um, a guy called Jehoash and he's in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, that's the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. And in a book called Second Kings, that uh, really gives a lot of the story, as the name suggests, about the kings of Israel and Judah throughout that time. So Jehoash was actually, um, you know, not a bad guy. In fact, he became king at the age of seven. He was given into the care of his uncle, who was a priest, who brought him up in the ways of God. And it says that he pleased God all his life. So when we start to look at that, we could say, yeah... This guy is obviously pleased God all his life, so we're going to talk about some fantastic things that he did. Well, he did do a lot of good things. But we're going to look at the end when he started to sort of be tempted away by the gods and we're going to look at an encounter he had with Elisha who was uh, a prophet in the Old Testament um, who did many miracles and was powerful in the kingdom at that time. All right, so became king at seven, pretty young age. Knew God because he was brought up by a priest uh, who was his uncle and obviously went through a lot of stuff through his life as the kings did in those days. It wasn't very pretty half the time. But we're going to look at this encounter in Second Kings chapter 13 and this is when Elisha is actually on his deathbed, okay? So he's ill to the point of death now. He'd been... 
uh, living through the reign of quite a number of kings and he'd come to the end of his life. And the challenge for us today is going to be from this incident. What spirit do we bring in terms of our determination and our trust in God for victory in our life? Okay, or victory in the life of other people or victory in the life of the church? All right, let's read this story. So 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14, we're starting at. When Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel sent, sorry, visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. Now, if you would know anything, Elisha actually yelled those words out when he saw Elijah getting taken up who he was with at that time. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows, and the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow, and Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. So we see here a picture that Elisha is actually joining hands with this guy. They're pulling back the bow. Then he commanded, open that eastern window, and he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. For you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Okay, so back in those days, they would shoot an arrow towards the land that they were going to declare war with. So this isn't just a random shot of an arrow. Okay, shooting it out towards the east, that country that had been invading and giving Israel trouble for, for much time. Okay, so when you see that, that's actually a declaration of this is our enemy who we are fighting. And we're going to actually engage in battle with them. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. Just an explanation to this verse. If we read that, um, we, we would probably think that he had a big bunch of arrows and he hit the ground with them. Okay? Possible. But the more likely scenario is that he actually gave him the arrows and said, keep shooting the arrows in that direction. So when it says he struck the ground three times... It means he took three of those arrows that he had left over and shot them out in that same direction, okay? Possibly he hit them on the ground. Maybe he did, but that's the explanation that most people seem to give. Then Elisha died and was buried. Groups of Moabite writers... Oh, well, we won't read that story. That's a pretty cool one too. But that's it. Not a very big story. So what possibly could we draw out of that as a spirit that we should have as a church? Okay, we, we, we can see here a man who is almost desperate. He sees the prophet Elijah who had done so much at that time for Israel and he was a little bit worried that this man was dying. It says that he lived a pretty good life and, and hopefully most of us as Christians have really trusted in God most of our life. But this is a real test of who he is, what his character is actually like. And there's a few things that we can look at. Firstly, it was important that he put himself in the hands of the prophet at that time. Okay? This is something that we do need to do. We need to understand that we do need to connect with those who can strengthen us. Connect with those who can give us the word of God. If we are not really confident in ourselves, that is what we should be doing. We should be be finding someone who knows God who we can see working with the things of God and we should be able to come alongside them. 
as well. So it's important that we come alongside others, but it's also important that we recognise that we need help at times. We need to be able to put our, help, our, our hands in the hands of somebody else who knows who God is. So he put his hands with Elisha's and they shot the arrow. That's all good. But what we don't want to do is be fearful that if that person goes, that we are not going to be able to carry on. And this is a direct, um, I guess, challenge to that king at that time. It was, this is an arrow that shows the Lord's victory in your life. Did you know that God has given us the victory? Do you know that Jesus Christ has won a victory for us? Do you know that he's beaten sin for us? Do you know that he's made us righteous and holy? Remember we looked at that last week, how we are holy and blameless before God. It's in Christ that we are all those things. But what we don't want to do is when the prophet of God lets go of us is suddenly lose the strength that we have. You could imagine like having a big bunch of arrows. Now Elijah had said to the king, Elisha had said to the king, that arrow that you just shot signifies something really important. This is telling you right now that God is going to be with you and he is going to destroy the enemy with you. Think of that. Because if you take that into account, when he grabbed the other arrows, what do you think he understood? That when you shoot each of these arrows, this is signifying a victory that who has given him? The Lord. The Lord has given him a victory. And I want to challenge us in terms of this. What is it that we are believing for, for victory for the church, for ourselves, for other people? The failing of the king, as we, as we see Elisha get very angry at him later, he says, what have you done? You should have struck the ground six times. Then you would have had a complete victory over your enemy. But instead, you half-heartedly pulled back the bow and you shot arrow only three times. Is that the spirit that we have in our churches today? Is that a spirit that sometimes rests on you? That you, you take what God has given you a victory and you, you begin to understand it. And it's okay when you're with someone else, but as soon as you're isolated, as soon as you have to do something for yourself, you suddenly lose the strength. Because your strength is not founded in your relationship with God, it's founded in someone else's. It's founded in your wife's relationship, or your husband's relationship with God, or your mom's, or your dad's, or your friend's or the relationship maybe that your small group leader has with God, or your pastor. When those hands let go, who are you trusting in? Have you connected with God in such a way that you understand the arrows that you're shooting now are only potent because God himself has said, I am partnering with you in this. The victory that you have is your victory that I'm giving you. Yes, it's good to draw strength from someone else. 
But I tell you what, at times when you're by yourself, you need to have made sure that your foundation in God is sure, it is strong, and it is secure. And then, what are you going to do with that? Do you know that there is definitely a link between effort and result? Now, that sounds strange when we're talking just recently, in fact, this very morning, about the salvation that God has won for us. Because we know that it's not the good things that we've done that have brought us salvation. Don't we know that? That it's nothing to do with us. But do you know you can be saved but never have victory? Well, what do you mean? Think about this. The Israelites wandered through the promised land, to the promised land, I beg your pardon, through the desert for 40 years. God sustained them. They they kept safe in battle, kept safe from their enemies. They had the, the protection of God. What happened as soon as... He said, you enter that promised land. All of a sudden, there's battles to be won. There are fights to be fought because the promises of God were battled for. They were battled for in faith. They were battled for in faith. And God was on their side. But it took hearts to trust that God was with them. And the Bible says that we are to labor to enter into the rest that God has for us. Again, two opposing ideas. What do you mean? We've got to work hard to rest? That just sounds crazy, doesn't it? What does that mean? Well, if you think about that king and he's pulling back that bow and he's looking at all the arrows there, it's like, yep, I can do three. But after that, I'm not sure if I'm really willing to press in to what God has for me. And I would say that this story is telling us, keep pushing on. Do not give up. If God is asking you to do something, don't do it half-heartedly. What has God been talking to you about? What are the dreams and the vision that God's given you? What are the ideas, the thoughts that have entered into your heart? You're saying, gee, I'd love to do this for God. You fire one arrow, oh, yeah. Fire to actually, you know what, to do the things of God, to actually be obedient to his will for my life, takes a bit of effort. It's a lot easier just to to rest where I am. Church, don't you think we owe it to our Savior to do as Paul said and strain every muscle and every fiber of our being to get God's everything in our life? Wouldn't you hate it that you came to the end of the race and you cross that finish line and you're like, man, I've got a lot of energy left. I think I could run another marathon now. What's that speaking about in terms of your Christian life? It means that you have not given yourself wholly and fully to the things of Christ. Because a true victor has given everything. They have strained every muscle. 
You don't see the guys take off at the 100 metre and casually jog up to the finish line and say, yep, done it. Finished that race. That's great. You finished the race. But I tell you what, God is asking us to actually give our lives to him. And if we really want to see God working and, and to actually smash the enemy in our life, to start to make an impact on this society, it's going to take a whole lot more than a casual Christian walk. It's going to take people whose hearts are connected to him, that are fully sold out, that have said, there is nothing better for me to do. There's nothing better that I can do on this earth than live for him. There's nothing more important because we know that the eternal rewards last forever and God is asking us to build up the treasures in heaven, not on the earth. And we need to make sure we don't have that mindset or the tendency to small effort in our Christian walk. What do we need to do that? We need to be strong and consistent in our battle against sin, understanding that Christ has won it. We have to be strong and put in a lot of effort to increase our, our Christian knowledge. We have to be strong to attain the faith that God has for us. We have to put in a lot of effort for God's kingdom. And we need to keep shaking this world with the faith that God has given us. Be consistent and strong in prayer to bring God's kingdom to this earth. You see, when God's asking us to take something in faith, he wants us to do it boldly. And this is what I'd encourage you to do this week. Don't shrink back. In fact, the Bible says God has no pleasure in those that shrink back in fear. God is pleased when we walk in faith and we know that without faith it's actually impossible to please God. We need to go out boldly. Being bold and reverent to our God to grab the things that he has for us. Is it a sign of a well-gone dry, perhaps? But we can make a whole lot of excuses as to why we don't, can't we? Why don't we? Why don't we step out in faith? What is it? The fear of man? What is it? Here's a few things that it could be. Number one, we say things like this. I didn't want to be too presumptuous and ask God for that. It just doesn't seem right that I should ask God for these things. But then we hear a verse that says that God gives good gifts to his children and he loves to do it. We hear the verses that say how much we love to give stuff to our kids and God so much more wants to give us stuff, the things that we need. We don't want to ask too much. God, 
I don't want to trouble you too much. I've even heard people saying things like, well, you know, my sickness is little. I don't want to ask God for that because there's a lot of people that need healing more than I do. As if somehow God's limited in the power and the grace that he has. There is no limit to God. He is endless and he is all-powerful. Whatever your need is, if it's small, God wants to meet it. It's no trouble for him. He doesn't care that it's little. If it's big, he doesn't care that it's big. And it's not like he can only heal 150 people a year and after that, whoever's the worst off, that's who he heals. Or that's who he helps. But my, my depression's only little, I'll just live with it. Come on. Ask of God. Come on, get in his face. Doesn't he say to do that? Come boldly into the throne room of grace. Dad, this is what I need. Can you please give it to me? So sometimes we, we just don't want to ask because we think we're asking too much. Hey, if you ask too much, you won't get it. It doesn't matter. But James clearly says if you don't have it sometimes because you just don't ask. And what does Jesus say about that nagging woman that went to the judge to get justice? She went every day, hollered outside his window, give me justice. Now we don't want that to be the way we get things. We want it to be faith. And I think Jesus said at the end of that, that woman got what she wanted because she was persistent. When you hear those words, ask, seek, knock, those words don't stop, it's ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking until the promises of God are manifested in your life. Determination, persistence, strength. Maybe this is it. Why you don't step out? Well, I'm not in good order. My life doesn't really reflect Christ. And this is where that powerful verse in Ephesians comes through. You didn't do anything good to get that salvation. It's not about you. It's about his son. You need to push through the thoughts you have of yourself and start to see yourself. In Jesus Christ. His obedience is your obedience. His death is your death. His resurrection is your resurrection to new life. What an awesome gift. Maybe it's this. Well, no one's helping me anymore. Oh, praise God for the Holy Spirit. Because it says the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. It says that the Holy Spirit is our helper. You don't have to have anyone if there's no one there. You can do it. If you can work with people, more the better. But just because someone else isn't with you, if you know it's the word of God for you, step out in faith. Let go of the apron strings for a minute. And if you need to go grab back onto them again, do it. You know, there's no, there's no shame in not being able to achieve what you thought God had for you. But I tell you what, there's a lot of shame in not obeying his voice.
this, it wouldn't do any good. If I did, things won't change. Get that out of your mind. God changes lives. God changes situations. God changes hearts. And even your heart, God can change. Maybe I don't feel like it. So what? Who feel like getting up for work every day? <laughs> Bob. <laughs> Good on you, Bob. <laughs> Bob doesn't want any holidays. <laughs> but you know what? We always do things we don't feel like doing, don't we? Don't we? I don't feel like brushing my teeth every night. <laughs> so I don't. No, I do. <laughs> no, I do. It's a pain. But sometimes the things that we need to do that are good for us aren't always enjoyable at the time. But I tell you what, when you start to press in, a change comes. The word of God you thought was hard to get into. I just can't do it. You start to read it. But then you start to rely on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, just open this word to me. As I read it, I don't feel like it today, but God, I know that you want to speak to me. Holy Spirit, can you help me today? Such a difference will come, really. And then all of a sudden, it'll be like you won't even want to put it down. Seriously. The last one I'll just mention today. Don't want to get overexcited. <laughs> I don't want to be too excited about God and what He could do, the possibilities of adventure with Him. No, we don't want to get too excited because that's not really what our Christianity is about, is it? It's all about quietness, reflection, seeing how bad we are and how good He is and feeling a bit miserable about that and how we're hopeless and you know I don't want to get excited that God can actually change me God can actually use me to impact someone's life I can't speak to anyone about Christianity because I'm not good enough rubbish of course you can it's not about you anyway it's about him and his goodness and when you start to get excited about the things of God and allow yourself to go there, it's really different. It's an adventure. You love the rejection. So please, let that not be the spirit that we have as a church. Can I just add at the end, what is it that you're doing for God now? When he talks about the gifts that he gives to men, I won't read it out today, but we'll look at it next year. It says, if your gift is giving, give generously. If your gift is to lead, lead the best you can. If it's serving, serve with all your heart. If it's worship team, worship the 
best you can. If it's kids' church, teach the best you can. If it's encouraging others in the body, just give out those encouraging words liberally. Lift other people up. You see, a church that serves with all their heart in the gift that God has given them is so powerful and dynamic because it comes to be the body that God said we should be. Each member doing its part for the growth of everybody. It's not about us. It's about him. And he's asking us to make a change. And if we're going to serve him, don't do it half-heartedly. Don't volunteer and turn up once every three months and be late and be sloppy and slack. Don't encourage infrequently if that's your gift. Do it all the time. All your heart, everything that's in you, this is the spirit that God wants in this church. In fact, his church. But you understand, I'm talking to us. We're here. (laughs) They're not. (laughs) So you get it, right? What if God's calling you to pray? Pray with all your heart. God's calling you to give. Give with all your heart. God's calling you to love someone, love with all your heart. God's calling you to give meals to people, make beautiful meals and take them around. Whatever it is, if you've got a gift of creating beautiful things, create them with all your heart and do it unto God. If you're baking a cake, bake it for God. And this is a really important thing to to get, that everything we do is for Him. Everything. He talks about that in our workplace. He says, don't work to men. Don't be a man pleaser. It's not about men and pleasing them. He pleased me. And it's impossible not to please men when you're pleasing God. Seriously. You imagine the quality of your work at work and your work situation is just so amazing. Your attitude is so good because you're serving God. Isn't a boss going to say, wow, they work hard. They never complain. They're always happy. It's from within that relationship with him that empowers us to be who he wants us to be. Have I gone too long? Yes. (laughs) No, no, spot on. No worship today. No. (laughs) All right. We'll finish there. Let's pray, okay, for us. Lord, I pray, Father God, that you would just bring a change inside of us, Lord, that we would start to live wholly and fully for you in every area of our life. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be relying on others, but be joined with others, but understand what your word is to us. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be people of excuses, of reasons why not, Lord God, but you'd help us to be people of the big yes, the big yes of the things that you're saying about that you want us to do. Let's pray you'll empower us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, next week, that we just have an amazing time with family, friends, whatever it is, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.